they sit comfortably. So, first day of session again. Good to be back here. Um, Things are settling in. Um, I'd like to begin um, by making two acknowledgements. And the first one is to the Waramai people who who, um, were, are, the Indigenous people who lived in this area for who knows how long, 10,000 years, 20,000 years. A long time when you think about it. The Buddha lived 2,500 years ago, 10,000 years, 20,000 years of constant existence in this area. It's pretty amazing. And as some of you um, may know, um, this the first white settler in this area is actually my grandfather times three, Robert Dawson. And um, he um, had good relations with the people here, even though I acknowledge he was a white invader like the rest of us. Um, and uh, they, they had a kindness and generosity towards each other. And he described the people who lived in this area as being very loving, very kind, very generous, very good-humoured, absolutely devoted to their children and devoted to looking after their older people, you know, which is a sign of, you know, a very deep culture that that occurs. So an acknowledgement to them and also an acknowledgement to um, Sister Angela and the poor sisters of Clare, who are the people who actually built the Stroud Monastery with their bare hands, you know, with the mud bricks. And um, this place here, this building, was the second building that was added on um, for community groups and connection with the outside community while the monastery down there was isolated for Um, the nun's practice. And Ganyachara, I looked it up, has two different meanings, um, but they're similar, house of light or house of healing. And uh, Sister Angela, this is back in in the 1970s, um, uh, was a precursor of really making contact with Aboriginal people. And she ran many, many workshops in this very room with Aboriginal elders. Um, trying to get people acquainted to that that ancient culture and an appreciation of it. So that's the history that we actually um, have inherited, actually being here. And um, it's a, I, just, I guess I just want to make a state of uh, a statement of um, appreciation for all of those who have contributed to us being able to sit here. Now, um, as a jumping off point for this um, session, you're all aware that I had um, uh, open heart bypass surgery recently. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit in terms of how that experience impacted on me and to to turn it into a a, a Dharma talk or a teaching. Um, One thing I can say about open heart surgery is that it's not for the faint hearted. <laughs> um, 
not the only person in our group who've had it. There's a few people in our group who've, in the past few years or of late, have had um, issues with heart. Um, and as uh, Tom Fisher in Melbourne, who's one of those people who had heart surgery, when he went one of the one of the emails he sent to me said, "You are now a member of the Heart Suture Club." <laughs> uh, which is a variation of the heart sutra because the word sutra actually means thread. It's kind of like a thread of words, do you know, creating a sentence. We're all part of the heart sutra club. Um, It's um, written about with people who go through um, open heart surgery that they have the risk of becoming depressed, a high percentage of depression, and or that they have some kind of um, reflective spiritual experience as a a result of doing that. Well, I had neither. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't get depressed um, and I didn't have any great sort of flashes of insight that occurred as well. Although what I want to talk about is there was um, a deepening of of a sense of gratitude Um, And that's what I'd like to talk about a little bit more today. Um, To give you a sense of what it's like, I mean, to me, going into the surgery wasn't a big deal because you're unconscious and they they do what they do and you don't even know about it. Um, What I had some um, disquiet about was what what happened afterwards, you know, when you woke up. So you you wake up in intensive care and you've got tubes coming all out of your body. You've got one big one here so they can pump chemicals immediately into your heart to start it up again or whatever they do. And one taking the urine away. And the worst are these, these plastic tubes under your ribs that drain any excess blood. So you're kind of sitting there with these <laughs> monitors on you and tubes in you and um, sedated quite a lot. And um, even though you're sedated, you're in some level of pain and discomfort and stiffness. Um, but anyway, given enough drugs to tolerate it, it's not that bad. And then they eventually stabilise you and they take all these things out and then they put you in a, well, in my case, on a, in a um, private room, you know, on a ward. And um, the most difficult time um, was probably about two or three days after I came out of intensive care and uh, and I was in a lot of pain and you're very stiff and it's very hard to move without, you know, making pain occur. And I had a heart monitor on and all these thick socks that they put on and so on. So I was very hot and I hadn't had a shower for about four days. No, the last time I had a shower was before the surgery. And I didn't think I could because I had got the heart monitor on. Um, so I was there sort of stinky, smelly, sweaty, in pain, um, in air conditioning where you cut off from the outside world. And, um, and it was unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did I do? I sat on the chair and I sat with unpleasantness. Uh, I just just turned up to be present to it. And if you just turn up to be present to what's happening 
and that's all that's happening. It doesn't have to lead to low mood or depression. It's just unpleasant and it's painful. So I sat with that for about an hour on a chair. And then what emerged out of that, sort of very slowly and gradually, um, was a sense of gratitude. And uh, because there was a reflection, like you go beyond yourself, you go into that sense of being, that you're not actually isolated, you're actually connected to everything and connected to everyone. And um, it's a sense of gratitude towards um, all the people in your life who are supporting you, you know, and so many, so many people here I felt so much support from, and family, um, and in particular to Diana, not during that time but also afterwards. A special thank you to you. And uh, it's interesting the experience when you just sit with the pain or the unpleasantness of something in your life, in some ways it, you, you sit and you accept it, but acceptance is kind of like a, a cold clinical experience in a sense. It just, it's just the way it is. Right? That's it. It's painful. Um, but the difference that emerges when gratitude emerges is that it's not just acceptance. There's some emotion actually comes with it as well. And, and the emotion is one of warmth, like it's a heartfelt feeling. It's not just a cold clinical feeling of acceptance. There's a, something shifts. You need, to, you need to go to the acceptance first, I believe. You, know, you need to go to that place of just raw acceptance and not try and bypass into love or gratitude, etc., etc. You know, you've got to stay there. But if you stay there and you're just present with what is, something just starts to emerge where your heart starts to be felt, filled with warmth. And um, as the, um, the, the English writer Charlotte Bronte said about gratitude, she said it's, a, it's an emotion, it's a feeling that fills the heart but never to bursting point, right? It's kind of, it's not like an elated feeling. It's just a soft, gentle, contented feeling, which is there. But that certainly um, deepened, um, and that's that sense of appreciation and, and connection with everyone, including something that I don't usually have an appreciation for. In fact, I probably have an aversion to it, and that's technology, mm -hmm. right? Without technology, I probably I wouldn't be here. Uh -huh. um, and so there's an appreciation for all of that as well. Um, in some of the talks I've given before, I've often spoken about the importance of giving and receiving. And it, the giving and receiving happens if everything's interconnected and like an ecology, then everything is, is giving and receiving, you know, simultaneously. And uh, as I've spoken about in some other talks, some people can be very strong on giving, um, but not so strong on being able to receive, to, because to receive is to be more vulnerable in a sense. To be, to be a giver is to be, to be powerful. Um, 
And historically, I've been more like my strong suit is the giver, not the receiver. So I decided before the surgery that I'd open up to be a receiver. (laughs) (laughs) Practice what I preach. And it was quite enjoyable, actually. It was good to receive. So thank you for all of your giving. So with gratitude, gratitude has been um, recognised over the last 10, 20 years, particularly through positive psychology and so on, as being very good for us, you know, very good for our mental health and our physical health. Um, As we all know, gratitude has been the core theme just about every major religion, you know, and form of spirituality, including Zen. You know, and if you reflect on many of our sutras, like some of them that come to mind are the the meal sutras, um, but also um, Torres Enji's Bodhisattva's vow, they're all expressions of gratitude. All of them. You know, that's, that's, that's at the core of it. And so cultivating a sense of gratitude is very, very central to our practice. And yet, sometimes we have to go through adversity to, to really appreciate what we have. Um, if gratitude feels like too rich a kind of word or a bit cliched, um, Joko, my teacher, frequently used to refer to Zen as a practice as a way towards appreciating your life. Uh, so appreciating life, gratitude, you know, variations on the, on the same theme. So much has been written about gratitude of over the last many years um, and it can work and it does work for people but it's important to look what gets in the way of it not working. And one of the main things in pop psychology, the reason why it doesn't work, is because people think it's immediately going to make them happy. Mm -hmm. So the attitude behind it is still the pursuit of happiness. I'll do this and that'll make me happy. I'll I'll write a gratitude letter. Am I happy? No. Doesn't work. Try something else. So if there's that impatience with it, if if there's that grasping for um, gratification from it, it's never going to work. Mm -hmm. And so, like Dogen said, one of the founders of Zen, a Zen life is about don't expect anything, expect expect nothing, just do the practice. And so in cultivating gratitude and appreciation, that's the spirit in which to do it. You just kind of get the feel of it and you reflect on it. You reflect on the interconnectedness of everything. And if you do it for long enough, that kind of warm-heartedness just naturally starts to develop. But you've got to start somewhere with practice. Um, I really like, I really dislike this term that gets banded around a lot, you know, fake it till you make it. I don't, don't like it at all. Um, an alternative is practice something until it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, it can be useful to 
reflect on things and and in a gentle, non-pushing kind of way, actually you start to try and cultivate a sense of gratitude to to your life and what, what it is. But what's important is without pushing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to look at what what are the blocks to gratitude actually just naturally developing and why, why it may be missing in our life in some ways. And when I reflected on it and I researched it a little bit, I recognised that all the different blocks that people were talking about and what I identified myself fit very simply into a basic Buddhist teaching and that is that the cause of suffering is greed, hatred and ignorance, you know, or uh, grasping, aversion and apathy, maybe another way of putting it. But one of the identified blocks towards gratitude, if you look at the greed version of it, is a kind of form of narcissism, self-importance, um, unquenchable, unquenchable need to be admired, sense of entitlement. If all of that's going on, um, it's very hard to experience gratitude. Right? It's, it's the antithesis of gratitude. So if we're caught up in that, we, first of all, we've got to acknowledge where the blockage is, right? Because when you actually practice gratitude or the expression of it or the feeling of it, it's actually not about you. Right? It's about others. It's about something else, you know. And if so, we're so full of that self then there's a blockage to actually doing it. It's like, what would I want to do that for? It's not about me. Uh So that comes up. So that's kind of the the greed aspect of it. The the apathy part of it, or ignorance, is probably one of the hardest ones to actually recognise and become mindful of because it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's not like, a strong emotion, it's like nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. But that's what a lot of, a lot of us, I can, I can own up to experiencing that in my life too, just a sense of indifference to what is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a kind of um, apathy, like we're, we're, we're given life, we're, we're, we've given so many things that enhance and and allow our life to flourish, and we're just simply blind to it and just expect it to happen. Um, so apathy, ignorance is also an identifiable block to actually recognising um, and, and, and experiencing and cultivating gratitude. But probably one of the biggest blocks is resentment. Mm-hmm. And that's the hatred side of this, um, this teaching. Resentment's a form of, a form of hate. Um, and all of us have experienced resentment at some time in our life, usually to do with relationships or institutions or whatever. And the, the sense of resentment comes from feeling hurt um, feeling like you've been treated unfairly, 
you know, that's something that we've all experienced. And that's got to be acknowledged before you go to the gratitude, right? Not only do people do spiritual bypasses, but they do psychological <laughs> bypasses as well, you know. You can't just use this as some kind of intervention, you know, oh, gratitude's good for you, I'll just override the resentment, I'll just feel gratitude. It doesn't work like that. Um, you have to go into acknowledging the painful experiences which are there. But, and this is where the, the precepts come in, if you look at the wording of the, the Zen precept around anger and resentment is a form of anger, it's about not harbouring anger, not harbouring resentment. It's not, not that it'll never come up or you won't experience it. It's when you then build it up and you build stories around it and a narrative around it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes an attitude, not just one particular incident that occurred um, or a stance towards a person or whatever. So it's important to recognise the experience of re resentment when it occurs, it's telling you something. So take notice of it. The problem is, and then what you do about it, you can, if you can, hopefully you can speak to someone who you felt offended by, you might resolve it, that's the most best way to do. What if you can't do that? Mm -hmm. What about it? that's impossible, it's not acknowledged by anyone else? Then you sit with it and you recognise the feeling that is there, but then your challenge is not to embroider it, you know, not to keep on adding stories to ruminate, ruminate on it until it becomes, still it festers, because it's quite toxic. So it's acknowledging it, but by doing that, by, by being honest with it and having an integrity with it, um, if you sit with it long enough, just like my sense of being in physical pain, you know, if you sit with it long enough and you're aware that, that gratitude is kind of like the sun behind the clouds and you're aware of that teaching, if you sit with it long enough, something will start to emerge. You know, and, 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 and you allow it to emerge. You don't just keep pushing it away. See that these, these experiences like resentment and anger, they're, they're addictive. Like when we get caught in them, it's like we, we don't want to let them go. We want to hang on to them because it identifies who we are. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, a, it's acknowledging that they're addictive, it's, it's acknowledging all of that, but it's this, it's this other desire comes through from underneath that there is another way of being with this. You don't have to hang on to it. And that's where it emerges into something like gratitude, into something larger. Like um, practice in general, um, particularly the Zen tradition talks about sudden awakening experiences. And sometimes people might have a, a sudden awakening into gratitude. But my experience is that it's something that just gradually emerges from life experience and practice. Um, but let's remember that that's 
that's at the core of what we're doing this week and what we're doing in our life, is that our practice is working for us. Um, that's what emerges out of it, a sense of gratitude for, for everything. In some, some religious traditions, people have gratitude for their, or they only have gratitude for their fortune. You know? But in Zen practice, we also have gratitude for our misfortune. <laughs> for everything, you can't divide it up. So keep that in, in mind as we practice. Of course, the last thing we want to see happen though, and, and this is what happens in immature religious or spiritual groups, and I, and I don't see this group as an immature group, but what happens, the teacher gives a, gives a teaching on gratitude and then, and then everyone then starts to make great exclamations of gratitude <laughs> just to demonstrate to everyone else just how well they got it and how good they're going. We don't do that at all. Just be yourself. Thank you.